Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here this afternoon. I'd like to welcome all those watching online. You know, I like to start with something funny. You know, did you hear about the senior citizen that got a new Corvette? So the thought did taste uh, take it on a test ride, so we went down I-20. He's hitting about 80 miles an hour down I-20. When he looked in his rearview mirror and he saw a state trooper with his lights on, you know, he got nervous and he just floored it. Boom, he's over 100 now going down the interstate. And then he paused, he came to his senses, he slowed down and pulled over. Now, uh, the trooper came up to him and he just started, uh, said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what I was thinking, just making all kind of excuses. And the trooper said, listen, it's Friday afternoon, it's 4.30. I get off in 30 minutes, 30 minutes. If you can tell me one excuse that I have never heard before, then I'll let you off. He said, well, he said, 20 years ago, my wife left me for a state trooper. And I thought you were bringing her back. <laughs> well, today, we're continuing our series called Jesus is the Answer. We know that he is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. I'll tell you, when we start thinking about our culture, there are so many questions that we hear. This week in your conversations, you're going to hear people say, you know, when, when are things going to change? When are things going to get back to normal? When is this virus going to leave us? When is there going to be a vaccine? We have a lot of questions, and a lot of them are a lot more personal than that. When am I going to get better? When is my job going to turn around? When am I going to um, not have to deal with this issue? And we're all looking for answers. But so many people are looking for answers in the wrong places. You know, drugs and alcohol are not the answer. Hollywood's not the answer. President Trump is not the answer. Joe Biden is not the answer. But Jesus is the answer. Today we're starting our, our second week of 21 days of prayer, and I just want to encourage you, just like Sarah did, to encourage you to be a part of this, carve out time, some uh, each day, to have that conversation with the Lord. Last week we gave you a couple of different cards. One of them is uh, seven targets of God's blessings, and we just ask you to focus on seven people that you want to see the blessings of God on. And you just keep that card with you. You can pick up some right after service. And just write down seven names and just say, God bless these people. The second card is this. It's a pray first card. And just write down your needs. What do you want us to pray over you or pray with you about? If you don't get one of these cards, you can send an email to prayer at stevenscreekchurch.com. And I promise you we'll be praying over uh, those needs that we received this, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. As I went through the cards this past week, uh, I've seen uh, so many needs, personal issues, family issues, job issues seeing health issues, seeing a number of people uh, just really concerned about the direction of the, co the country and praying for our country and our nation. I really feel like that's an important prayer. You know, in the book of uh, Second Chronicles, it said, if my people, 
uh, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Then they'll hear from heaven. And so we have this call to pray one for another. And so many times our prayers look like this. God, help me get out of this situation. That's me. God, help me get out of this problem. Help me get out of this situation. But you know, I've discovered through the years that sometimes God wants us to invite him in the situation instead of getting out of the situation. Sometimes the miracle is not getting out of the problem. Sometimes the miracle is what God is going to do in the midst of the situation. Sometimes the miracle is going to take place in that treatment room. Sometimes the miracle is going to take place in the middle of that problem that you have. That God is going to enter into that problem and you're going to find the help and the strength that you need. God is here and he just simply wants us to trust him with our lives. To have faith, to believe in him, to to step out in faith. Here's the point. God wants you to step out in faith. Some things will not change because God is waiting on you to move. Think about that. God wants us to step out in faith. Some things in our lives are not gonna change because God is simply waiting on you to move. God is waiting on you to do something. God is patiently waiting on you to take a step. That's what I want to talk about over the next few minutes. And as I talk about this, I want to share three different Bible stories. In each one of these Bible stories, you'll see how God is patiently waiting on that person to take that step. The first one is the story of Saul. Saul is a guy in the New Testament. His, his story is told in the book of Acts. Saul um, was a man that was filled with anger. He was a man that was filled with rage and bitterness. And all of this anger and rage and bitterness was pointed toward one group of people. In fact, this hatred in Paul's life was pointed toward those people who believed in Jesus Christ, the Christians. Paul hated Christians. And he would do whatever possible to try to make their lives miserable, even to the point of being like a terrorist, you know, trying to hurt them, even to the point where he is standing right by Stephen as uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, uh, was giving his life uh, as he was being stoned to death. So we pick up Paul's story in, in Acts chapter 8. Verse 3, but, Saul, but Saul's story. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Saul went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Saul was an enemy of the church. His plan was simple to do whatever he could do to stop the good news of Jesus from spreading across the region. One day, Saul was headed to Damascus. He was um, headed to Damascus to try to hinder the work of the Lord there. But as he is on the road to Damascus, God was waiting for him there. God was waiting for him on the road. And God came in the form of a light that shined uh, out of heaven. And the light was so bright that it hit Saul's eyes and it blinded him. And he fell off of his horse. As he hit the ground, he heard a voice come out of heaven. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul heard that 
Saul heard that uh, voice and he responded, who are you, Lord? The voice said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. This was a defining moment in Saul's life. He was confronted with how he had been living. He was confronted with his hatred and his bitterness. He was confronted with that. And he had to make a decision. What is he going to do now? How is he going to respond to this confrontation? And just maybe some of you will be in that situation today. That God is here to confront you. To challenge you. You may find yourself in a a place where you have anger issues because you have this rage and this bitterness that just comes up sometimes at unexpected time because there's this fire that is burning deep inside of you that is trying to destroy you and it's just this anger and you see it come up when you're placed in a situation where maybe you see somebody's post on social media. Maybe you see a picture And when you see that person, it's like this bitterness comes up inside of you. Or maybe you're out in the marketplace, and in a distance, you see that person, and you hate that person. And it's like when that comes up inside of you, that you become physically sick over the sighting of that individual. Let me say this. You can't continue to live like this. It's not good. You need help. You've got to let it go. You've got to do something to make things right. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. It says, in your anger, do not sin. So first of all, let's pause for a moment. In your anger, because that is being clear that all of us have anger issues. All of us deal with anger. Anger is a natural emotion that we've been given. Okay? All of us have anger issues. The Bible is saying here, in your anger, when you are angered, don't sin. Make it a point that you're not going to cross the line. Make it a point that you're not going to go there. You're not going to sin. In your anger, do not sin. It goes on to say, do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Do you know who wrote these words? The same man that was knocked off a horse on his road to Damascus. He learned firsthand that when you're angry, deal with it quickly. When you're angry, deal with it quickly. Holding on to anger only hurts you, not them. Holding on to anger only hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. So God was waiting for Saul on the road to Damascus. And in that interaction, it was in that moment, Saul made a decision to give his life over to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that decision, Saul's life changed dramatically. And he changed from the inside out. He became a new man. This this change was so dramatic that he was given a name change from Saul to Paul. Now, in the church, we refer to him and we know him as the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we call him Saint Paul. And Saint Paul became one of the greatest leaders ever to walk the the face of this earth. 
Today we have schools and hospitals named after him. We even have cities named after him. St. Paul, Minnesota. To a man that experienced true life change at a critical point, God was waiting on Saul that day as he rode his horse to the, uh, to Dama- on the road of, uh, to Damascus. I said, I'm going to tell you three stories. Here's the second one. The second one's about the Samaritan woman. It comes from John chapter 4. Here we see Jesus waiting by a well in Samaria. Now, while he's waiting by this well in Samaria, uh, this woman came up to get some water. And back then, Jews and Samaritans, they didn't have any contact with each other. Those groups hated each other. But Jesus took a relational risk here and asked her for a drink of water. She said, wait a minute. She said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for water? And Jesus said, look, if you knew who I am, you would be asking me for living water. She said, sir, give me this water then. Jesus said, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. She said, you're right. You have had five husbands, and the person that you're living with right now is not your husband. How do you respond to that? She said, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she said, when will the Messiah come? I hear a lot about the Messiah. When is he coming? And Jesus looked at her and said, I am he. I am the Messiah. This woman woman went back to her community and told everybody what had happened, that she had met the the Messiah, that Jesus, uh, her life was changed, and she believed in Jesus. And you know, as a result of her testimony, many of the Samaritans came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting here is that Jesus made a decision to go wait at that well. His disciples had already gone into the city to buy food, but he just said, no, I'm gonna stay here in Samaria. I'm gonna wait right here at at the uh, well. And it's interesting to me who he was waiting for. He was waiting for a woman that didn't have a good reputation. He was waiting for a woman that had been married five times. He He was waiting for a woman that had relational issues. He's waiting for a woman that people in the community had already written her off. It's the woman that they uh, talked about, they gossiped about, they laughed at her. So we see Jesus waited for a woman that was scorned, that she didn't feel value, she didn't feel very, uh, she felt very little self-worth, and Jesus came, and how did he respond to her? He didn't judge her. He did not condemn her. Instead, Jesus spoke life to this woman. It's very significant because, you see, Samaritans did not worship God, but Samaritans worshiped idols. And so here Jesus was waiting for a woman from a different faith. And it's interesting Because this woman is the very first person that Jesus ever told that he was the Messiah. Now, you would think that he had told the priest or maybe the the elders 
or maybe some of the religious leaders, but it was a Samaritan woman. Society looked at her and said, oh, forget about her. She's done. She's over. But God said, no, I am waiting on her, and I'm going to honor her by telling her who the Messiah is. I think about how many times God has waited on me, or maybe how many times God's waited on you. He's waited on us when we're off course. That he's waited on us when we refuse to forgive. Or maybe he's waited on you when uh, you're wrestling with an addiction or you found yourself in a compromising relationship or maybe when you had a bad attitude. He could have said, I'm done with them. I've given them ample time. I'm done. But instead of doing that, God graciously has shown mercy to us. He's shown mercy to you and to me. He's picked us up when we've stumbled. He's protected us when we've hanging out with the wrong friends. He's, he's kept us safe from that accident or, or he's, he's waited on us when we didn't believe. He's waited on us when we ignored him. He has waited on us when we've lived in fear, when we've been messed up. He's waited on us with a heart of mercy. Mercy, the mercy of the Lord. You know, mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. I want you to think about that. Mercy is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. What we need is help. What we need is salvation. What we need is deliverance. What we deserve is punishment. And God, in his grace and his mercy, extends a hand of healing, a hand of forgiveness, and a hand of mercy to us. I said there's three stories. Here's the third story. It's about the prodigal son. Um, It's the story found in Luke chapter 15. This is a very famous story. The prodigal son. But we really could rename it today and call it the story of the waiting father. Several weeks ago, Pastor Mo preached uh, from this text. And I want to revisit the story just for a moment. The story is very familiar. This young man had pushed God out of his life, and he left his family and his hometown, and he set out for a distant country. He was going there looking for love, looking for happiness. And so to finance this this trip or this dream, he went to his father and said, Father, I want my portion of the estate. Now, you've got to understand in the Jewish culture of that day, that was tantamount to saying to his father, Father, I wish that you were dead. The sheer magnitude of a request like that would just break a father's heart. This family had considerable resources. And so the father had to liquidate these resources so that the son could take his portion of the estate. Think about that. When you are forced to, uh, to liquidate something uh, and you have to do it in a quick manner, oftentimes you don't get market value for that item. And so this man was willing to, to liquidate, to sell his assets at a reduced rate just to satisfy his son's request. He was willing to take a loss to satisfy this. 
That son received one-third of the family's estate. Now, this took some time to do that because it's not like that you could just write a check and, uh, like you can today or based on you know, your assets or so. So he meticulously had to sell off these items, and this took some time. While he is selling off the items, people in the community say, what's up, with the, what's up over there? And so the story got out into the community about what the son was doing. I am sure that the father, as he is selling his assets, trying to satisfy this request of his son, he's thinking like, surely he's going to change his mind. Surely um, I'm going to get him back. Surely he'll come to his senses. But he doesn't. That That day couldn't come soon enough for that young man. He was longing to get out of town. He was longing to leave um, his home. He was longing to have the money. The moment he got that money, he walked out of the gate of his father's place. He shook the dust from his feet, and he didn't look back. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set out for a distant land, a distant country. And notice this, he squandered his wealth in wild living. Let's say he went off to a city like Vegas or maybe New York City or, or, or maybe uh, Amsterdam or some type of exotic place. It's interesting how we often try to convince ourselves that the grass is greener on the other side. We look at somebody else's life, and and we want to live their life. We want to experience their life because they live on greener grass. Folks, I want you to live your life. I want you to be the person that God has called you to be. You're looking for somebody else's greener grass, and here's what I know in a very practical, very, very practical uh, lesson here. The grass is always greener over the septic tank. That's the truth. That is some wisdom there because I have lived in a house with a septic tank. And the grass is brown and dead all over the yard except one little plot of ground over the septic tank. I am telling you, you're looking... um, at somebody else's story and you're longing to be like that person. You're longing and you're thinking the grass is greener if I get another job. The grass is greener if I get another spouse. The grass is greener if I have this experience. I'm telling you, the grass is not greener. Learn how to take care of your own yard and you will find what you're looking for when you, when you do that. But this young man, he was destined. He was just, uh, he was bent on going and experiencing this. He started spending money like crazy. Pick it up the next verse. After he had spent everything, everything that he had, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Think about that. He spent all of his money, and there was a fam- there was a plague. Spent all of his money, and it's like businesses shut down. He spent all of his money, and he didn't have any way to get more money except to take a job. 
He took a job that a good, kosher Jewish boy would never, ever, ever think about taking. The only job that he could get was on a pig farm. The story continues. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to what? To feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. This young man hit rock bottom in a distant land, broke and busted feeding pigs. Let me ask you a question. What is it going to take for you to hit rock bottom? What is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to get to the end of your rope where you're saying, I am sick and tired of living like I am living. I am ready for a change. I need help. When are you going to get to the place where you said, I've had enough of this. I can't take this anymore. What's it going to take for you to hit rock bottom? What's it going to take for you to come to the place where you said, I, I, I'm going to stop blaming everybody else for my problems? You see, there comes a point where we have to take responsibilities for our problems. We can't blame our parents, and we can't blame our spouses, and we can't blame the economy, and we can't blame the Republicans, and we can't blame the Democrats. But there comes a moment in our lives where we have to take responsibility that this is my life, and I have to make decisions to change it. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now his father was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around his son, and he kissed him. Now, here we see that this father was waiting for the son. Think about that. This father was waiting for the son. I would imagine every day he would go look out into the distance to see if he would see his son coming back. And one day, yes, he saw him. And when he saw him a long way off, this father ran. Now, Luke chooses a very technical term, uh, term to, de to describe this. He uses an athletic term to describe the father running. It was like, in Luke's words, the father raced. The father sprinted to see his boy. Now, in the Middle East, you've got to understand the patriarch of the family would never run because he was a man of great dignity. He was a man of great authority. He was a man that dressed in an elaborate, ornate robe. It would not be dignified for him to run. He would always walk very slow. He would always uh, walk in a very dignified fashion. He would never run. And so for this father to run means that he would have to reach down and gather up the edges of this ornate robe so that he wouldn't trip over it, let alone sprint. 
And you know what? In that culture of those days, uh, dignified men would never let anybody see the, the skin on the, of their legs. It's just undignified. I mean, you may see uh, the legs of a young boy, but never, a dignified man would never show his legs, his naked legs. That just wasn't done. And so when this father pulled up the robe, he was willing to be ridiculed and, and, and not dignified because you see, he had been waiting for his son. He had been waiting for this boy to come. And so now he is running. And the father runs because he never stopped loving this boy. The father runs because um, he, he, uh, the son never stopped needing his dad, no matter how far he ran away. God is waiting for you. Just like he was waiting on the road to Damascus for Saul. Just like he was waiting at the well for the Samaritan woman. And just like the father was waiting for the wayward child, the prodigal son, to come back to him. God is waiting for you. You may be in a distant country. You may have never dreamed that you would find yourself where you are right now. Dealing with these set of circumstances, you never thought that this is how your life would turn out. But all the while, Jesus has been waiting for you. You've drifted, and God is waiting for you to come back. And if you want to see God run, all you have to do is take one step. Just one step. Because Jesus is God running to his rebellious child. He's God running to me and to you. And when you're willing to, to surrender to him and you're willing to turn around, you'll see God running toward you. Now, this father gets to the boy and the boy had already had a lot of time to think about what is he gonna say to his dad? And so he had this speech already prepared. And so uh, he sees the boy, the father runs to him, puts his arm around him. And I can hear that boy just saying, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm, I didn't mean to hurt you like this. I will pay you back every penny. I will work extra until I do this. I will not rest until it's paid back. And the dad said, bring out the best robe. Bring out the ring. Bring out the finest shoes. Kill the, the fatted calf. There's going to be music and there's going to be dancing and there's going to be feasting and there's going to be a party because my son who is lost has been found. My son who is dead now is alive. He's alive. Many of you remember the day Ed Smart stepped out of his house to see a group of reporters standing in front of him in his Salt Lake City neighborhood. And as he spoke with a, a broken voice and tears in his eyes, he spoke directly to the camera, hoping that his missing 14-year-old daughter would hear his voice. He said, Elizabeth, if you're out there, we're doing everything that we can do possibly to help you. And then he pleaded with her kidnappers and said, please 
let her go. Please let her go. I think when uh, people in the country heard this father cry out for help with his 14-year-old daughter, they could, we could feel the, the anxiety and we could feel the stress. And I realize that many of you are too young to remember this, but we felt this. And for nine months, Elizabeth lived under the oppression of her captors. She was forced to wear a, a wig, a costume, to be disguised in public. And nobody ever recognized her. As time went on, they, her captors indoctrinated her. It's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's when you drift further and further from home that you start to identify with your captors, that you no longer identify with your home family. She no longer identified with the smart family. Elizabeth was so lost that she didn't even recognize that she was lost. Is that your story today? That spiritually speaking, you are so lost that you don't even recognize that you're lost. Nine months into this kidnapping, a policeman spotted a vaguely familiar teenage girl on the corner of an intersection in Sandy, Utah. And he asked her a few questions. And finally, she blurted out and said, I know you think that I'm Elizabeth Smart, but I'm not. Then he asked her about the wig, and she said, this is not a wig, but this is my real hair. Then she, he asked her about the couple that was with her. And she said, those are my parents. Those are my real parents. She was so lost, even though she was close to home. Think about that. She was in Sandy, Utah, close to her home, but she was lost. She was so close to being found, but didn't even know it. The officer looked at her very gently and said, Elizabeth, I know who you are. I know who you are. You are Elizabeth Smart. You have a family that loves you. You have a home that is waiting for you. And I want to take you home. Then he showed her a picture of the missing person's bulletin with her picture on it. And that was the moment of truth where she looked at that missing person's bulletin and she saw that picture right there. And her eyes were open. It was like an awakening that she realized who she was and she wanted to go home. And you know the story, she went home. Spiritually speaking, I'm praying that that will happen to you. Because God is waiting for you to come home. God is waiting for you like he did Saul on the road to Damascus. Like he is waiting for the Samaritan woman at the well. Like he is waiting for the wayward prodigal son to come back to the Father. God is waiting for you to come home. And I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's caused you to push away. But I do know this, 
that Jesus is a loving Father, a merciful Father, and He is speaking to you today to come home. To come home. You who are lost, you're weary, you're backslidden, you're lukewarm. You once knew what it meant to sense the presence of the Lord. You knew the joy of having your sins forgiven. You knew the joy of salvation. But for whatever reason, you pushed that away. You've turned your back on God. And today, once again, God is calling you by name. And he said, come home. Come home. The Father is running toward you. All you have to do is take that one step and he will run to you. And some of you feel like you've done too many bad things. That you drifted too far. But God's grace is greater than you think. And he is here today giving you another chance to come home. I want to pray with you in just a few minutes. And I want to pray very simply and very clearly. And I'm going to ask that you would take that step. To take that step toward the Lord. To say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And that when you come to him like that, he will come and change you and he'll welcome you back home. Are you ready to pray? Now, there are people in this room that you've never made a decision to follow Christ. There are people here in this room that you are just flat backslidden. And God is calling you to repent. Repent means that you're going to change directions. You're going to come back. There are people watching online that that this, this message has been directed so poignantly to you. You feel like that I have been talking directly to you. But it's really the Lord talking to you. But I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to come home. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those watching online. I pray for those in this room. God, have mercy upon all of us. God, have mercy upon us. Now, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus or you've hit rock bottom and you're ready for a change, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, help me. Say that. Say, Jesus, help me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Say that. Say, Jesus, forgive me. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I give you my past. Say that, God. I'm giving you my past. I'm trusting you with my future. Take me, Lord. Cleanse me. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. I receive this. And Father, as they are making those spiritual decisions right now, I'm praying not only for them, but I'm praying for other people in this room and in listening. That they find themselves between a rock and a hard place and they find themselves in a very difficult place and they're crying out for help today. Some people are struggling with addictions. Others are struggling with relationships. Others are struggling with fear. I pray in the name of Jesus that deliverance will come today. And so, Father, we ask that you would come and bring deliverance. And we receive what you have. I want you to say that. Say, God, I receive what you have for me. Say that. Say, I receive. All of you across this room, say, I receive what you have for me. And I receive this in the name of Jesus. 
And everybody said, amen, amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.